Hi, and welcome to Practical Reliability. I'm George Williams, founder and CEO of Reliability X, and your host this week. Uh, today with us is uh, a gentleman who's going to have to explain a few things because there's lots of <laughs> changes and shifting and all kinds of other stuff going on. So I'd like you to welcome Mr. Scott Mason. Scott is Director of Strategic Asset Management at Brightly, at Siemens. At, Still Brightly. At, at, yes. Where are we at? What's going on? How are you doing, Scott? I'm doing great. Thanks, George. Appreciate you, appreciate you putting this together. Uh, yeah, so Brightly uh, acquired a company that I was part of in December. And as of Tuesday, Brightly was acquired by Siemens. It's you know, a wow. little company that most people I, may or not have heard I of. I think I might um, have heard. Might have, yeah, I might have heard it. Yep. Wow, that's fantastic news. Yeah. That's great. I hope so, when they so acquired all, you, you got lots of shares because um, yeah, that yeah, would have helped. Right. Yeah, I'm not that high up the food chain. <laughs> I'm still that little fish we talked about right. there, the little Pac-Man. Right, right. But, right. <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it, it provides a lot of opportunity in the industry. Uh, uh, Siemens has been very uh, forward-leaning and, uh, you know, engaged with our teams. Uh since this happened uh, early this week, we had uh, meetings yesterday with their leadership, and uh, they shared their vision. Today, they put on a two-hour webinar on LinkedIn, shameless plug for their uh, Accelerate, their vision, but Brightly is a big part of that vision, and uh, you know, it came as a surprise to all of us on Monday morning, but uh, it was exciting news, and uh, we're, we're moving forward, so we're part of uh, what their plan for the future is in the strategic asset management and uh, software as a service world. Awesome. Well, I think that's that's obviously going to help the reach of Brightly and the potential clients uh, and all of the complexity that's going to come with that. <laughs> uh, on a personal note, it's kind of, you know, you probably went from one software system. They were like, okay, well, you know, we use Thunderbird. And then you went to Outlook. And now suddenly you're going back to, I don't know, Lotus Notes or whatever it is. You know, like, well, I know yeah. we're in the middle of this rollout, but we just got bought. So now start all over. You know, I'm sure there's something that's, that's that complex. And so right now everybody's trying to acclimate themselves culturally is so is brightly going to operate as a standalone is it going to be considered um um you know a, a specific piece of siemens or are you going to operate uh, individually it's a standalone it'll be uh, brightly a siemens company or some variation of that i'm not I, i'm not part of that legal team but that it's going to be some variation of that we will operate individually um for the time being, obviously, who knows what the future holds. Uh, it, it's interesting, you know, we, we've got about a dozen different products in all different verticals uh, built around strategic asset management. So everything from the, uh, I'll call it the, without getting political, true uh, definition of, an as of infrastructure assets, right, which are typically uh, outside the building envelope streets and bridges and roads and piping and street lights and those things uh, right down to inside the uh, inside the building uh, in all aspects of those aspects as, uh, assets as well as whether different verticals manufacturing or uh, whatever the vertical is you know any type of production 
or uh, process. So for those that are listening, uh, at least on the CMMS side, so uh, the brightly acquired uh, dude solutions, right? So uh, I, we've actually, so I got the email from Kerry actually this week. So uh, I have a, a license to dude solutions just through one of our clients that we helped go through the CMMS selection process. And sure. we helped them build their hierarchy and all that stuff. And they just haven't yanked my license away from me. So I, so I got the email right. earlier this week that actually explained all this. So the timing is impeccable. Now, your background wasn't in the CMMS side. Where was where was your direct background? Sure. I started in the industry. I got out of the Navy and a long time ago, 1988. And uh, I got into the life safety industry. As, I was electronics tech, and it was a uh, – I got hired by one of the S companies that's not Siemens, and I went to work for them and uh, honed my craft over the years. But then I – as I looked at the future, I, I wanted to not help maybe one client, but help multiple clients. And, and you know, if, if you want to change an industry, it's it's not going to be as a uh, running a service department or a, a life safety organization necessarily. And so I started looking at opportunities to impact uh, the vertical that we worked in mostly was healthcare and how we can impact that from a, a life uh, asset life cycle. And uh, it started with life safety. I did a couple projects with the company that uh, Facility Health that I ended up working for that was acquired by then Dude Solutions that changed its name to Brightly, then was bought by Siemens. That's a big story in seven <laughs> months. So that's... Uh, yeah, well, but, you articulated it very well. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure if I follow along everybody else can so okay. I, I think you did pretty well there so and in in the life science in the life uh, safety industry and in in healthcare, you know you had all these independent hospitals they start to get gobbled up by all these much larger entities that are very um we'll say cognizant of shareholder value it would be a good way to put it how do you convince them they need to take care of their assets when well, we'll just build another building and let this one fall down 20 years from now. Uh, how did you, how do you impact that? Well, I love how you framed that because I, I, I spoke at ASHE, uh, the planning design and construction conference in New Orleans this past spring. And I actually said that. I said, if, if, if we're not going to maintain buildings, then let's just build them to last 15 to 20 years. We'll raise them, put a parking garage on it, and at the 15-year mark, we'll start building the new hospital. And um, I, the architects, I think, probably loved it. But the <laughs> So did the construction companies. <laughs> yeah, so did the construction company. But the CEOs, the, the, there wasn't, it, it wasn't a laughing matter. And, you know, and the conversation was around how do you bridge the gap between uh, that planning, design, and construction mode into operational and even more so into accreditation. So for the non-healthcare audience, uh, most hospitals are reimbursed by Center for Medicaid Services. Up to 60 to 70 percent of their finances are from the federal government and reimbursement. To do that, you have to be accredited. So it's a it's not a certificate of occupancy as like like the construction side looks at, it's actual, you have to have some uh, accreditation performance goals and life safety is part of that. 
uh, utility asset management inventories are part of that, biomed asset inventories. So you start to look at asset lifecycle costs at the beginning, right? That's where we, the birth of assets. And then we want to take them all to their uh, disposition to the end. And, and our goal in, in the world we live in typically is how do we uh, make that asset last as long as possible, right? To have good stewardship and fiduciary responsibility, but also to look at it and say, you know, how is that asset performing over time? And what do we need to do to that? So, uh, you know, how we got into this industry is is uh, the, the company that I had worked for that was acquired was a bunch of facility directors who used to so try to solve that problem in Excel and on napkins. And uh, they said, why don't we develop a software that cures that, that comes up with that uh, cure. And so that's how the product that we developed, Origin, was, was birthed. And how it works is, you know, I, you know, after an initial facility condition assessment, we're all used to doing those as an industry practice. But in order to maintain that asset condition, you need to do them with some frequency, whether that's two, five, seven, or ten years, depending on affordability. Uh, but but to tr truly gauge how that asset's performing. The, what we created was a way to do that uh, one-time facility condition assessment and then integration with the CMMS, and it will actually track the asset lifecycle, and we can actually forecast how that asset's gonna perform over time and where that needs to be. How do you solve the, what I call the deferred asset dilemma? It's that bow wave of 20 years of not really doing anything. And then what is that cost? But that's how we get, get, that's how we get promoted, isn't it? I mean, if I'm the plant manager or the GM at the location, the way I get promoted is reduce my cost the two years I'm leading there. And then I wash my hands of it and somebody else's problem. I, I always joke because people that have read the seven habits of highly effective people know that goose that laid the golden egg story the manager that gets promoted because he didn't fix anything. That's right. And, uh, so no, you said an awful lot of stuff there, Scott. And I just want to pause because yeah. you said a whole lot. And you also said some things that are kind of unicorny to me. And what I mean by okay. that is the, you're saying you've invented the dream. So I want to find out how real that is. Because people listening, you know, they're listening, and we want to make sure they're getting what it what it takes here. So it, initially, some of the conversation you had brought you were mentioning was around the uh, acquisition and understanding life cycle costs during the acquisition phase. A um, in in a vast majority of industries, that doesn't even happen at all. In the industries where it does happen, we're talking about things like mining and pharmaceuticals and and life safety and but for the vast majority of manufacturers oh my god no i went to a trade show i saw this machine it's now the new packaging line oh by the way we didn't integrate it to nothing but good luck right so we've got that piece then then you talked about conditional assessments and what i liked about what you said because earlier in my career not a fan because you hired a company they came out they looked at it told you it was old replace it and you're going that's not really a conditional assessment. So I, I love what 
you said there was you have to repeat them because the only way you know if the culture actually takes care of the asset, the only way you know is to compare it to a baseline. And most folks take that – they think they pay a check once, get the conditional assessment done, and they've got a 20-year capital replacement plan. And I'd like you um, to delve into that just a little bit more because if we're aligned, that's not really how it works. Sure. No, 100%, George. Uh, you know, first of all, I think anything we, – we, we project out 10 years, and I think once you get past five, you're kind of uh, – crystal balling it, if you will. And, and, and I think more realistic is that one to five year, but you can actually look out at, if you've got a building that was recently built, you can look out 20 years and you're going to see that the end of that 20 year between the last year 15 and year 20, your deferred maintenance starts to rise pretty significantly because assets are aging out. But when you get into a existing plant, um, you know, most our data shows that about 45% of all assets, regardless of vertical, are in a deferred status anyway. You know, part so, of the reason that happens, part of the reason that happens is because they try to depreciate the whole building. So they build a new building and they go, well, I got 40 years of depreciation. 20 years into it, you're going, I need a new boiler. I need a new this and that. And they're going, well, you can't have it. Like, I got to eat. Right. The, I have to eat some depreciation to do that, and so we're just going to defer the replacement strategy. Whether they're deferring maintenance or not, they're deferring the replacement strategy till oh crap, right? How do you get past things like that? Yeah, because I, I I don't think they're mutually they're mutually exclusive. I think they need to be attacked together, right? And and the first question you know you posed was about the FCA. And, you know, when when you do a facility condition assessment, there has to be some type of mechanism that is monitoring that condition of that asset over time. Uh, you know, I just had a conversation with a with a company. They were talking about uh, pipe degradation right over time, what uh, how pipe degrades from uh, whether it's rust or mick or other things. But. It doesn't happen, you know, year one through five, you, you, it's hardly noticeable, but it's like my truck at year 20, it's, it's very noticeable. So you've, you've got to track that and plan for that. And so what, what uh, our approach is, we, we look at it and you give, the, you give each asset a score, which then rolls up to a building or a site or a campus or however you look at it. And however you want to look at it, but you can actually score that, and then you can uh, track that over time with how work orders are being applied to that. So, if if you're providing, if you're doing a, a manufacturer's maintenance, and and your uh, downtime or your your repair work orders are minimal, then that's a great strategy. Uh, conversely, if you're doing maintenance, uh, preventative maintenance at, per the uh, manufacturer's requirements and the uh, equipment starts to degrade in performance and or failures. I mean, there's something that, that needs to be corrected on the preventative maintenance side. You know, the, the, the term uh, alternate equipment maintenance program has 
been thrown around. It's used a lot in the biomed field, and uh, it's being adopted on the, the utility asset side as well because, you know, the other thing that, that we look at is criticality of that asset. Uh, is that a life safety feature, right? The air handler in ICU is not the same as the air handler in the atrium. So one is almost a clinical asset in terms of criticality and risk. And so we risk rank those assets accordingly. So yeah. that's kind of our approach. Awesome. Love it. There's, again, I, you throw so many things out, and my head just goes crazy. Um, uh, one of the things um, I, I think you were talking about is, the, like, so the pipe, what happens in your scenario where, it, you know, it was degrading and it looks like it's going to be on one curve, but they realize, hey, you know, our chemistry's not right. Our water treatment's not right. We do a better job. We, we slow down the degradation, extend the life of the asset. Another reason why reoccurring assessments make sense. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, there's a couple models, right? I'm not saying, hey, you got to buy this to do that because you can you can actually track that in the method you're talking about, uh, whether that's a, what I would say is a like corrective work order, right? Or a modification in your CMMS where you're actually able to say, look, I've I've changed this, this uh, process. I've added this chemical and this is part of our preventative maintenance strategy for that, for that asset or group of assets and you know our expectation is that it's going to have extend its useful life so you know what what we think is let's not guess let's find a way that you can actually track that versus you know and and you can track that and say okay well let's start you know if you use the water treatment is that you know we're looking at our uh towers, right? Is this something, do we need to look at our, our condensers? Do we need to look at our pipe piping network? What is failing? And then what has changed that we are uh, not, that, so if the corrective work orders decreased with this extra preventative maintenance that we are doing. Right. And uh, so that's one aspect of it. The other is the capital planning side, right? If, if that asset is degrading much more quickly, and its standard degradation was 20 years, let's say, in industry language, which doesn't mean it doesn't work. I mean, we, I've seen lots of 40-year-old air handlers that are running like a champ. So yep. let's, w w what we say is a d asset that's in a deferred status is an asset that is past its expected useful life, that in the simplest terms. Right. It doesn't mean it's going to fail tomorrow, but... You know, I, I talk about my 20-year-old truck a lot, right? I got a 22-year-old Chevy Silverado. It runs great around town, and uh, my grandkids love riding it in with me, but I wouldn't take it and jump, into, jump in it and drive to California tomorrow. So. Right, right. So one of the other interesting pieces of the assessment and the way it feeds into capital planning for larger companies, say multi-site or lots of buildings, <coughs> grouping those projects to get pr better pricing, right? So we were using it in the past to say, you know, what's the number of pumps I need to replace in the next three years? Great. Let's right. hire one mechanical contractor, give them all the work, standardize all the pumps, get better pricing, 
And over the next three years, you're replacing X number of pumps. Same thing with rooftops. They're elevators, it, all the big ones. And right? all the stuff that's not in the CMMS, right? Like the asphalt blacktop, the sidewalks, right? the the metal railings that are outside of the building. That stuff's not in the CMMS. It, it is as a functional location, maybe, to go do some work orders so I can paint the railing, but not tracked as a replaceable asset. And so there is a need for the two of them and a need for those two to mesh and a value for both ends of that spectrum. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Uh, I'm glad you, br you know, brought that up because a lot of times uh, what we find is the one of the first things we do is let's define what a capital asset is. And usually it is, you know, twofold. It's what's its value and what's its criticality. And those are usually the two determinants in what define it as a capital asset. Whereas, you know, your your scenario with a railing might, it might not make the, the curve, but it needs to be thought about. Um, you know, uh, EV charging stations is a new one that's popping up all over the place. I mean, if you want to put one of those in, reach deep into your pockets because they're expensive. And, uh, but, you know, as, as you start to look at it, what is that maintenance cycle? You know, and, and the thing that we haven't talked about is how do you justify manpower once you, once you have all those new assets, right? You get. That doesn't wait. That's a, that's, that, that, that's an irrelevant point. We build new buildings. We make the maintenance staff do what they had and they just have to go take care of it. It's just, you know, well, you There's got a new building, you don't there, have right? to maintain it. <laughs> right, right. That, that's what we hear a lot. Something's going to suffer, right? I, I don't even need to walk in there for 10 years. It's I can't tell you okay. how many times we come across that, though, right? In expanding areas where the capital project or the portfolio of capital investment ignores in its entirety pretty much everything that deals with even just the administrative work to get it into a CMMS, let alone the folks that are going to have to perform it, how to get the PMs in place. I mean, the the ETOP or the engineering turnover package is usually usually lackluster. It is better today now that they're usually electronic, and so it's easier to give to somebody than building all the binders. But still, it just tends to not happen as well as it could. And like, so your organization has to kind of bridge gaps that exist there too right it does and i'm trying to find now that you brought that up i uh for people in the uh that, that nerd out on this kind of stuff there's an organization called verdantix right and they do a lot of research on different different things and uh one of the things that they talked about was sorry bear with me Verdantics. I'm yeah, V-E-R-D-A-N-T-I-X. So they're an independent research firm. They look at all kinds of stuff. But uh, I'm going to do some research right after this. <laughs> yeah, you're going to like it. They're... I can't find where she, where she sent. She said I, she helped me with my presentation at PDC. But one of the things that we talked about was that uh, it's a government... Uh, GAO study said that 10% of a project cost is lost in the transfer of 
a project from uh, construction to operations. W when you say that, you, you, I, I don't know how you could even be comfortable. You know, ten percent is a lot of these companies' profit margin, but when you look at it, you say, "I just built an eight hundred and eighty million dollar hospital." And you're saying that I just lost eighty-eight million dollars in in my hand handoff, my handover. Because and, so, did they clarify that it's not because it's a terrible thing to do and you shouldn't spend the money? It's because you did it so bad you spend the money later. Like, did they? That's exactly. That's I mean, exactly. I know that, but I mean, did, did did they clarify that in the data? Because if I'm the CEO and they just say. Hey, you know, you lose ten percent in the transfer. I go, well, stop transferring. You know, so I'll save the ten percent. <laughs> she did actually. <laughs> that's to... that's good. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, below are a few statistics you may find interesting regarding BIM and the handover process. Thirty percent of data created during design and construction phases are lost by project closeout. You know, which goes to your as built. Right. right? I, I hear this all the time. Look, I came from the construction side. As built are a way you get paid, and let, let's be honest, they're not very accurate, and right. uh, it's, it's sad. Here's what she said: uh, According to USGSA, uh, costs associated with understanding project closeout packages is 10 cents per square foot. Wow. And a NIST and a NIST study said the associated cost of lack of access to accurate information required to service the equipment is 23 cents per square foot. So that's 33 cents across per square foot in a typical building. Yeah. Wow. That's outrageous. That's expensive. So, so when people so when people like you and I go in and say, "Hey, we're trying to help you." Well, you're 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 too expensive. Right. <laughs> well, let me let me plug these holes for you and it'll pay for itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We hear that all the time. I mean, my organization helps manufacturing plants improve and usually you go in there and I can sneeze and get them 10 million more units a year and they go, "Well, you're really high." And you go, "Yeah, I know." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, well. Yes, we are. <laughs> yeah, I, I But it's about value, right? And and so the value that your organization is now going to be able to provide given the horsepower that is now suddenly behind you must be really exciting for you. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I would, regardless if you're a Siemens fan or not, if you looked at the, what they announced today with their accelerate platform of the future is uh, really exciting for us. I mean, to be part of that, but I mean, when you look at the connected world, it's something that we've all been talking about, you know, for 35 years. And, you know, regardless of technology, um, it's starting to get to the point where it catches up. And, you know, you and I could have uh, hundreds of hours of conversation about the rabbit trails from that. And, you know, you know, what we've learned working with our uh, Australian and Canadian partners, because they are so much more developed in asset management. Um, so it's it's a very it's, the future is bright as we say so brightly <laughs> brightly brightly that's right awesome well scott you're right we could talk for hours and we likely will just not today 
Um, and so, you know, I, I, I strongly encourage you to be a, a fairly regular guest here because I think you bring a dynamic that's not always uh, seen from the folks that are uh, the maintenance department, right? And reliability is about a holistic understanding of how everybody impacts the value proposition going at, at the location, right? Whether it's manufacturing or a service industry or, or life safety, um, it, it's all about the same thing. It takes everyone for the organization to be reliable and, and you bring a, a, a direction of that that not everybody thinks about. So uh, for me, that's really interesting uh, and it's valuable to the people that are listening. So um, thank you so much for, 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 well, thank for you. being with us today. I, I've enjoyed this. I, I love what you guys do. So um, I've, en I've enjoyed your podcast and I appreciate you uh, taking the time to sit down and talk. Well, I appreciate that very much. Thank you for the kind words, Scott. Um, and so uh, for Scott Mason, I'm George Williams. Go make tomorrow better than today.